Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, snowflakes, and welcome back to the New European Podcast. My name is Steve Anglesey. My buddy Richard Porritt is on holiday, and I'm delighted. Sorry, that should be. My name is Steve Anglesey. My buddy Richard Porritt is on holiday, and I'm delighted to be joined in his absence by Mia Yankovic, Jerry Scott, and John O'Reed. Hi. Hello. Hello. We're going to be talking all things Brexit. Well, of course we are. It's a Brexit podcast. The dawn of the meatloaf remainers. Jeremy Corbyn's making his play. We're going to be looking at Number 10's weird new social media strategy and whether you can actually trust polling uh, about Brexit in the light of the Daily Telegraph and Comres' big gaffe earlier in the week. And, of course, we'll be crowning a Brexiteer of the week. First, I wanted to let you know that we're doing a live recording of this podcast at Podcast Live Politics on Saturday the 5th of October by Euston State in London. All of the details you can find at podcastlive.com. You can come and see just us or you can join in for a whole day of political podcasts. I will be there. Richard Porritt will be there. The first guest we're announcing who'll be there with us is the fine writer James Ball. You'll know James from his pieces for the New European Paper and Website, also from his books Post-Truth and Bluffocracy. He's also the editor of the Bureau of Investigative Journalism. So come and see James and us at Podcast Live Politics. Saturday the 5th of October by Euston Station. More guests will follow. Tickets for our show are £13.50. You can come to the whole day for £32.50. All of the information is at podcastlive.com. Remember to click the ticket under our logo. Then you will get front section VIP access to our show and probably some free merchandise as well. So that's that out of the way with. Mia, Jerry, Jono, welcome again. Considering Parliament isn't in session and there's no print edition of the New European this week, it's been a momentous few days for Brexit. John Burko and Philip Hammond finally off holiday and on manoeuvres against No Deal. We've had Tom Watson making noises about working with Joe Swinson. And then on Wednesday night, while I was watching a... I don't know, a little bit over mediocre Quentin Tarantino film, we get Jeremy Corbyn's big offer to the Tory rebels and to the other parties. Vote no confidence in Boris Johnson, vote for me as leader of a temporary government, and then I will ask for an extension of Article 50 and I'll call a general election. Hammond and Burko in a minute. Jerry Scott, first of all, what is your take on Corbyn and his big offer? Well, it's about time he did something, yep. isn't it? Um, and it has successfully kind of turned the media narrative to what the hell is Labour going to do? Are they going to do anything? To kind of what we were discussing last week a bit, um, to kind of, so what about the Lib Dems? 
um, it means that when Jo Swenson was questioned on it, she was a bit on the defensive because it now kind of changes the question to if there will be, uh, if there won't be, sorry, a cross-party government, which, by the way, I don't think there's going to be, and I'll get to it in a minute, who is really going to be to blame? I think the reality is it's both Labour and the Lib Dems, um, and it's a difficult position because Jeremy Corbyn obviously isn't going to agree that there's no chance of him being acceptable enough to, frankly, people in all parties, for him to be PM. Hmm. And you can't really expect him to accept that either. Like, that would be political suicide, wouldn't it? It would basically give him complete, you know, completely no mandate to do anything. But Jo Swinson is also right when she's saying that a Corbyn government couldn't get a majority, even if it's time-limited, like he's suggesting. You've just got to look at the 11... Yeah, 11 former Labour MPs who are sitting as independents, which shows that it's implausible. And that's even before you start factoring in floating independents and the Tories. And So I think this is less about Corbyn and more about Jo Swinson, who now has a really tricky balancing act. She has to kind of hold on to that promise that the Lib Dems won't make Boris Johnson kind of PM in a, in a coalition that they wouldn't make Jeremy Corbyn PM in a coalition, but she also can't be seen to be the person blocking a <laughs> unity government. Um, you know, there are problems with Corbyn's letter. What is the time limit? What happens after that? Are we to kind of believe that he'll just go away quietly and we'll, we'll think back to the opposition benches? I think it has distracted from accusations that Labour can't work with others. We will remember him refusing to meet with the Chakramuna. Um, and it also solves the problem of saying they have nothing to say on Brexit. He has a plan, extension, election, commitment to a final vote. But it's not really looking great for Joe Smith neither. John McDonald's just said that um, Plaid Cymru, the SNP and Tory MPs have all responded well to this letter. If Joe Smith doesn't do the same, is she going to be held responsible for forcing a no-deal Brexit, potentially? Yeah, and, and Mia, you know, this is... The, the other side are talking about Brexit by any means necessary, mm. and now people on our own side are uh, accusing the Lib Dems or some Tories of being um, meatloaf remainers. They'd do anything to stop Brexit, but they won't do that. Um, I know that, that obviously we all know what people's objections to Jeremy Corbyn are, but faced with what's happening on the other side, faced with the risks of no deal, shouldn't we just hold our noses and get on with this? Honestly speaking, from my position, which is, you know, the probably the most uh, remainer remainy of all types of people on the planet possible, I say yes. Um, I, I do think it's uh, I do think it's problematic the whole situation with Jeremy Corbyn. I think the problem is it's very hard to shed the suspicion that he's always viewed stopping Brexit as a route to number ten, and that his priorities are about getting into power and then stopping Brexit rather than the other way round. Um, you know that there there are alternatives I assume, um, but his his version basically involves himself being in power at the time. Um, it does it does slightly go against the principle of a kind of caretaker prime minister which was being floated before mm. um, which is you know a terribly noble notion that I don't think anybody really believes in unless you have you know I don't actually they should just literally have the caretaker shouldn't they is there a number <laughs> <laughs> um, let's do that 
Yeah. Um, well, well, we could have the gardener like him being there, of course, the uh, the classic <laughs> Peter Sellers film about the uh, the White House gardener who becomes uh, the, the president. But we've probably already had him um, in. Um, well, we've had a few of them, haven't we? Um, it's interesting, isn't it, that um, you know he didn't say vote vote for vote for no confidence then vote for me and i will call a second referendum yes no it involves a general election along the way which he hopes to win yes of course um. uh and then you know then we get joe swinson's more considered response to this which seems to be you know her plan seems to be let's not have a vote of no confidence straight away let's let's work to change the law and uh, pass a motion that is looks to be a binding motion saying we won't have no deal, invite Boris Johnson to ignore it, then have a vote of no confidence. Then, I guess, Corbyn can try and form a government, and then, if, he, when he, if and when he fails, for the reasons that Jerry has talked about, then as an attempt to, to put somebody else up. It's not, it's not stupid politics from Corbyn. We've sat here many a time and accused them of... You know, not taking the opportunities that are in front of them, and we've been mm. deeply frustrated about that. This is quite clever politics. He's backed Joe Swinson into a corner mm. where any move she makes is kind of wrong, whilst also dispelling the concerns that a lot of people, us included, have had with Labour about Brexit and them not taking the steps that they need to do. It, it's quite a clever play from them, really. Yeah, your take on this, Jono? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it does feel like. Uh, Joe Swinson's response um, was somewhat fiddling while Rome burns and I think you know to a certain extent she seems to not be practicing what she preaches um, I think both um, the Greens and the Lib Dems this week have been somewhat on the back foot I mean you obviously had Caroline Lucas's all female um, emergency yeah. cabinet yeah that bombed, that. didn't yeah, it exactly which was not great um, but yeah it does you know Joe Swinson has talked a lot about um, you know working together regardless of the individuals I know that she has these issues with Jeremy Corbyn, but it does feel like, are we literally going to say no to trying to stop no-deal Brexit and working together literally because of um, Jeremy Corbyn? Um, yeah, at the moment, it, just, it does just feel like a bit like fantasy football. We'll you know, pick who we want to be on our side when literally we've got to work with you know, every single person on the Remain side to get something passed. And you know, whether a vote of no confidence actually gets passed is, is debatable. Um, but I think my biggest issue is just as Remain feels like they're starting to get their act together after the uh, Brecon and Radnorshire uh, by-election, is the fact that you know, it feels like the, the wheels have completely fallen off. And you know, I, th- I, th- I think my biggest issue is the fact that this is all happening in public. Why can they not just get into a room and you know, thrash out some ideas? You know, we, we had Joe Swinton straight away, 7 a.m. Um, on that particular morning. Um, you know, sort of dismissing the idea. Then we had stuff unfolding over social media. Then we had responses over the television. You know, why can they not just get in a room? You know, it, it just looks like we're very disorganised once again. Yes, and that I suppose that raises some suspicions. And has you know, people have said this. It raises some suspicions about uh, Jeremy Corbyn's motives. Mm. Um, but uh, but the idea that we would that we that everybody on the Remain side should come together is uh, is something that is long overdue. I mm. think um, we can talk about this, uh, and we will talk about this in in the coming weeks. I I, I still really. Have I mean I, d- I doubt that any Tories are going to vote for Jeremy Corbyn as Prime Minister, even if it's for a day, yeah. mm. a, an hour, 
15 minutes. <laughs> um, providing the, the solution and the problem in the same breath, isn't yes, it? Yes, mm. absolutely. And, I, and I've got to say, I even doubt... I still doubt that that anyone is going to win a vote of uh, no confidence against this government when you it's, uh, when you look at what is behind it. Um, but you know that's that's for another day. Um, it's really interesting, isn't it, that for people who think that Jeremy Corbyn is a liability and a shocking leader of the Labour Party, you know, he's offering a, a general election. Mm. You know, I'm, I don't think that Labour would be the largest party if we had a general election tomorrow. No, I don't either. And I think that Jeremy Corbyn would probably then have to resign yes. having, having lost two elections <laughs> anyway um jerry just picking up quickly on um hammond and burko uh, what did you make of their interventions yeah it's funny isn't it um obviously philip hammond left the government didn't he when he heard that uh boris was on his way in yep. and he's now being a bit of a fawn in his side we kind of thought he might give him the summer he did say i've given him three weeks which i really enjoyed yeah Yeah. he's had three weeks now i'm back um yeah he said that um he'll basically do anything to prevent us leaving without a deal he said there's no mandate for a no deal brexit um among voters or in the house of commons he said parliament's going to make its voice heard um and you know it's kind of similar isn't it to what john burko's saying about parliament mustn't be my path but i think the problem here is number 10 don't really care about what mps think at this stage because it's aimed to win over the public not mm. them i mean you know we saw theresa may was paralyzed wasn't she by trying to keep her mps and all sides of her party happy mm. not only is boris johnson's government kind of unashamedly pro-brexit they don't care it's by any means necessary but there isn't really that much of a need to kind of win over these MPs. They know their situation isn't going to last forever. It's not long-term, and it's the public they're going to have to put it to in in the kind of general election sooner or later. Yes. So whilst I'm kind of glad that Burko and Hammond are kind of speaking out and saying things, I'm not really sure it's going to make that much of a difference. Mm. Oh, Dominic Cummings has got into your brain. He's, <laughs> he's affected you. There's still, there's still hope. There's still hope. There was, there was a quote somewhere along the lines from you know, someone within Number Ten that you know that it was helpful to their cause. You know, this, this sort of sort of pantomime to a certain extent. Oh, because it rile the public up, exactly, doesn't it? Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, the, there are those that obviously expected Hammond to sort of come back and make these sort of interventions, but it kind of, to a certain extent, plays into their hands as well. There's a nice feeling of all the pieces being pushed into the middle of the board now yeah. and a sort yeah. of a, an end game. I didn't watch Game of Thrones, but maybe it's a bit like that. Maybe it's a bit like the last <laughs> Avengers film. Yes, yes. Who's going to survive? I don't know. None of us, frankly. None of us, <laughs> no. And on that cheery thought, we're going to take a moment and talk about beer. Now, wherever you're listening to this, put your hands up if you like free beer. Mm, that looks like pretty much all of you to me. Uh, I certainly do. If you want free beer, then all you have to do is go to www.beer52.com new, cover four ninety five for postage, and they will send you a free case of eight craft beers. That's beer52.com new. The word beer, the numbers five and two, 
com then slash new as an added bonus for listeners of the new european podcast if you sign up within the next two weeks you get two extra free craft beers that's a total of 10 free craft beers and they say we remainers can't add up now who are beer 52 they're craft beer pioneers they're the world's most popular craft beer delivery service sign up and they're going to send you a case every month it'll have a different theme good news for us pro-europeans Themes in the past have included Germany, Belgium, Holland, even for you fans of being in a single market without really being in the EU at all. They've, they've done a Norway option, but they've also done California, South Africa, Korea. I, who, who knew that there was Korean beer? They haven't forgotten their roots, though. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are passionate about the UK craft beer scene they sent us a box i opened it up last night i've got to tell you these aren't the kind of beers that you normally find in supermarkets my package included 10 beers from all over europe started in an amber ale called Ovienna. that's from five points brewery in hackney which you might have heard of i'd certainly heard of that this is a collaboration with an austrian brewery it's a little bit smoky little berry taste to it little bovril smell which i thought was really interesting it's not the sort of thing I normally drink, but I absolutely love this. And then I also tried Freedom of Movement. That's a black lager. I've never had a black lager before. It's a collaboration between two breweries. One in Sligo, which is in Southern Ireland, Ireland, and one in Belfast. That's in Northern Ireland, obviously. Lovely chocolatey uh, finish, lovely maltiness, lovely hoppy smell. I've drunk two excellent beers. I've learned stuff. I've barely made a dent in my case. So... What do you need to do to get all this? Just go to www.beer52.com slash new to get a case of eight beers for free. And don't forget, if you sign up in the next two weeks, to you get an unmissable two more beers free. That's ten free beers. www.beer52.com slash new. The word beer, the numbers 52.com, then slash new. Now, no Parliament, Mia, this week, as we mentioned earlier, but we did have a PMQs of sorts, yeah, or of a very know. weird sort. Yeah, of course. Um, we had uh, the People's PMQs. Um, this was a uh, live Facebook chat between Boris Johnson and the world, um, <laughs> essentially, uh, through Facebook. Um, he, he sort of said... Um, MPs are on holiday, um, and I can take questions, he said, unpasteurised, unmediated from you via this machine. I think he meant the iPad in front of him. Mm. Um, and he basically uh, solicited questions from people on social media that he could then answer. Um, it was enthusiastically received. Um, it had 199,000 views, uh, 1.6,000 shares, and 7.4,000 comments. And the top ones are all, you know, we love you, Boris, you're the best Prime Minister ever. I don't know who these people are, um, but it's a lot of the country, it seems. Yeah. Um, the country united behind Boris. We should just give up and go. <laughs> Honestly, that, yeah, just that because Just because Dominic Cummings has hired some people to sit in a room somewhere and send... <laughs> Great. Well, when you look at the, you know, when you look at the proportion of little angry faces and happy faces, there were a lot more hearts on there than there were angry faces. The, the angry, angry remainers did not show up for this, and, and maybe we're the only ones these days. Um, anyway, there's obvious problems with with this from a journalistic point of view or from an accountability point of view. Um, 
Nick Robinson on Twitter called it, um, rather than PMQs, he called it Pose My Own Questions um, <laughs> on Twitter. And obviously, this is, I think, a, an incre- incredibly important point because it allowed Boris Johnson simply to cherry-pick the questions he wanted yep. and, uh, and answer them. With, to be honest, not a great deal of substance. A lot of, a lot of kind of, there wasn't a great deal of policy in his answers. It was very much about we basically we should do all things for all people. Um, it's, a but, lot, it's a lot like PMQs on a normal week. Then, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, without those kind of farmyard no, noises. True, I mean, that true. was benefit, I think. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the, in response to Nick Robinson, I mean, straight afterwards, and this is Twitter, which is basically journalists and porn bots. That's the only people on Twitter. Um, <laughs> They responded to him going, well, you know, we don't trust the mainstream media anymore. So this is what happens. You know, you at the BBC, the biased Brexit corporation or whatever you want to say. (laughs) Um, Essentially, people understand exactly what Boris Johnson's doing and they like it. Um, So I think he's doing something very dangerous, um, especially in this kind of context of his intentions to, well, undercut parliamentary democracy, as he has been talking about all the time. It's it's a really it's a really horrible look. and he said it's the first, so we can assume that we're going to have a weekly sort of fireside chat from Boris Johnson um, in yes. the terrible age of social media. What were some of the, the questions? Were they all like, how is, why is your hair so lovely? And, oh, well, you know, I mean, I, the, the best... Nobody said, how many children have you got, did they? <laughs> One man did say, um, what are you having for lunch? And it initially it's, seemed like one of those sort of throwaway things, but then he followed it up saying, I'm having a bent tin... Um, of, of soup, which means it's reduced, right. and then he carried on saying, you know, I can't afford to eat lunch, basically and that was quite pointed and of course not the kind of question that Boris Johnson was going to answer, he answered things like, things that allowed him to say we're putting 20,000 police on mm. the streets that we're starting, restarting stop and search um, and that we are going to deliver Brexit I mean, it it certainly seemed like he wasn't really paying attention whatsoever to the comments that were coming in anyway, so it seemed like he'd got a rehearsed list of who they were going to be, because the way he could reel off... Those questions were always going to come up. But, yeah, 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 but, you know, he could reel off their occupation, where they lived, and, you know, what their name was, and you're thinking, well, people who are on a Facebook Live are not going to give all those details, so it it seemed like a lot of those questions were rehearsed or... Screened questions? No, surely not. But no, I mean, you know, it didn't matter what people wrote in that comment box. Essentially, you know, he wasn't going to pay attention to them. Yeah, I mean, Jeremy. Of course, we've got to remember Jeremy Hunt did the same thing. He cherry picked questions during his leadership campaign. Yes, four hundred years ago, or what it (laughs) was. He did the same thing. He had pizza. He turned out he ended up looking quite relatable. Yes. And um, one of the questions he didn't answer, which I always loved, was um, what does swan taste like. Um, I don't know what it, that was about, but it was a great question. Um, <laughs> he's, he's eaten a swan or two in his time. So is, so is Boris Johnson, clearly. They all have. Mm, quite a few, I thought, with Boris's belly, but you know. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Just saying. There you go. Well, that's a four. Handbags are out. Yeah. <laughs> Shots have been fired. Um, this is a... This is obviously part of a new social media strategy for the government and for the, the Tories, isn't it? What what else do we know ab- ab- about this? They've spent an awful lot of money on Facebook, the Conservatives have, haven't they? Yes, yes they have. Uh, Wired reported that in the space of a week, the week he became Prime Minister, they spent £23,301 on Facebook ads. On yep. That's about uh, over a 1,000 adverts. I saw a couple of those, so Did good, you? good well, targeting, yeah. guys. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the main Are you on the fence? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the 
main people targeted was men over 45. Well, it's so, a bit personal, me, but I'll allow it. <laughs> not saying anything. Um, <laughs> Is that right, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Oh, temperature in here just um, dropped by 10 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, massive uh, policing and crime emphasis, says Wired. They looked over loads of them. A lot of these adverts are all the same but slightly different. Yeah. And it's being seen as a kind of testing initiative to see which messages, the you know, perfectly tweaked messages reach people, presumably, like you were saying, reaching people um, for a general election planning in some way. Yeah. Also, it's a data mining initiative um, because these are the times we live in. Um, Tory MP uh, Tom, how do you say Tom Tugendhat. Tugendhat. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great name, name, isn't it? Tunbridge and Malling. He, um, he. I cannot figure out if he was being sarcastic. No. What uh, did he say? I'm, I'm, I'm bad at reading these things. Uh, he said, uh, "This is brilliant. UK Parliament really is surplus to requirements." Sorry, he was talking about the Facebook yes. Live. UK Parliament really is surplus, surplus to requirements. And when someone kind of holds him up for this, he sort of said, "What?" Direct democracy is clearly where we're heading. Let's just get on with it, move fast and break things. Um, which is, of course, the Silicon Valley catchphrase that gave us the terrifying Boston Dynamics robots and, the, <laughs> and Facebook itself. So that's, you know, reassuring. I don't think we should assume that anything is satire and sarcasm <laughs> now. I think we should, we should just assume that everything is, everything is, uh, is serious. Um, um, yeah. Uh, the other thing I was going to say, I mean, Jono, you are a, a social media guru uh, in your uh, in your spare time uh, well you when you when you arrived you had a badge saying social media guru um, but you you know you've done a lot of work in social media and um, as well as running the new european website you, you run social for the company that we work for so what do you make of, of this strategy well I, I, I feel like we're, we're basically going through the same you know steps that we saw for the referendum campaign although we perhaps, and we don't know this or not, um, Cambridge Analytica clearly don't seem to be involved, but you know we are still seeing some of those techniques that were being used during the EU referendum campaign that a lot of people suggest help to sway um, people's decisions. Mm. You know, we're seeing a lot of those steps being repeated again, and mm. clearly having Dominic Cummins in at number 10 you know, is, is part and parcel of that, but you know, it does feel like we're seeing a lot of those techniques being used, and it was the same with the Brexit Party, although they didn't so successfully use it in Peterborough, they were spending a heck of a lot um, on these sort of adverts and testing things out with, with their audiences, and you know, it does feel like, again, Remain are behind on these sort of techniques, you know, there's nothing wrong from what I can see with, you know, parties doing this, but it does feel like we're still behind the curve in mm. terms of utilising some of these tactics, and again, these are all things that, you know, lots of money's being spent, we still aren't being told whether it's going to be a general election or not, so there's no limit yep. for what is being spent. Um, we can only assume that you know, this is what it's gearing up for, but again, it's another devious way of, sort of spending all this money, presumably ahead of a general election, without having to declare it. So they are just testing numerous variants, as Mia said, mm. of adverts, mm. and then the, they will get the statistics they will get back from the analytics they will get back from Facebook mm. will show them which one was the, the yeah. one that most people responded yeah. to. And I mean, it's the same as, you know, how Cummins was portrayed in Brexit Civil War, 
um, an uncivil war, you know, when, when he was going around testing all these messages about the side of the bus, for instance. Yes. You know, and that, that's the same logic I think he's probably applying here. I thought he just went up to people in the pub and well, just... Well, well, yes, all right, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, how yeah. it's portrayed, but still, yeah. you know, this is a more sophisticated or way of Or did he spend it. tens of thousands of pounds on Facebook? Who knows? Who, Who knows? knows? It's the same. Who can say? Who can say? <laughs> Me well, yeah. Uh, well, you were you were gonna you were going to interject. We, I was going to interject with a new hire at number ten. Yes, uh, it's an old friend of the new European podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, well, I was unaware of that. Well, it's somebody we've mentioned here before. Okay, well, I might be giving old information then. Um, Chloe Wesley, a special advisor, uh, social media special advisor. Um, yeah. She was formerly a campaign manager for the Taxpayers Alliance mm. and Vote mm. Leave. So some of our favourite kinds of people involved in that. <laughs> Um, she goes on Twitter as Low Tax Chloe. Um, she she made headlines um, a couple of years ago. Well, I think retrospectively, um, she's made headlines. Um, Huffington Post reports that she retweeted an appeal for support from Anne Marie Waters of the Fall Britain Party, um, big buddy of Tommy Robinson. There mm. called Anne Marie Waters a hero, um, and I just think it's terrible luck because. Her friends, uh, Chloe's friends, said to Huffington Post um, that she does not endorse or support the reprehensible views of Waters. And she was horrified when they were pointed out to her a year ago. I mean, isn't that terrible? You're a big social media kind of star and you just weren't aware of these, of these you know, anti-Islamic views. Um, so, you know, that was a terribly bad luck there. Um, she does say that she rejects extreme forms of nationalism, particularly ethno-nationalism. So um, that's reassuring. That's good. Um, well, let's hope she doesn't write a poem about it. Um, <laughs> but it's a pleasure to have you in number 10, Chloe, if you're listening, as I know you you often do. Um, just moving on then, um, Jono, you were involved uh, in one of the big stories of the week on the, on the New European website. Mm. That was the reaction to the Daily Telegraph poll on Monday. They, I think they touted that. It was on the front page. It was mm. the front page lead, wasn't mm. it? And yeah. it was a, a Comres poll which appeared to show that Britain wanted a no-deal Brexit. Uh, what was wrong with that? What was right about it, I guess, is the yeah. question. Um, <laughs> basically, it was saying that the public would back proroguing Parliament um, to implement a no-deal Brexit. Um, the figure that the Telegraph gave was um, from a Comrades poll that they'd commissioned, and it found 54% were in favour of it. Um, but like with any poll that the Telegraph touts on their front pages, you do have to sort of dig into the detail to really understand what the public are saying there. Um, clearly, there wasn't as such a majority, although the figures were higher than I expected um, from the public. But as we sort of saw from the reaction, particularly from pollsters and polling experts, um, you know, they did sort of suggest that this was somewhat a rigged poll, um, as some of them put it. Um, the fact that the don't knows had been excluded to sort of help bump up the yep. figure um, to get it over 50%. Um, and also when you start to look at some of the questions and the way it's been framed, you know, it's almost positioned in a way that you're, you're likely to be inclined to support some of the things that they were asking, particularly around, do you trust MPs to deliver the result and are MPs ignoring your wishes? Well, you know, pretty much everyone's going to agree with that because at the moment we're no further forward with, you know, with the result either way. It's like uh, Yes Minister with National Service, isn't well, it? absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, I think that's, um, you know, Yes Minister was certainly uh, something that Peter Kellner, who was the former president of YouGov, um, started talking about when he wrote a really powerful opinion piece for us on why, you know, where, where the mistakes were made by comrades. Um, you know, but 
yeah, as we say, it seemed like a misleading question, misleading questions, you know, you're talking about any means, you know, there's sort, sort of a lot, lot of leading things going on there, particularly when they start to talk about the Prime Minister referring to him as Boris, um, you know, and, 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 and yeah, it was, you would expect Remainers to kind of criticise this sort of polling, but it was the poll, polling experts that had the most to say about it, um, as I said, it's definitely worth reading Peter Kellner's piece um, on a website about it, but I mean, comrades have come out fighting about it. You know, naturally, they're going to defend their own polling. They do say that a lot of the people that trash in their findings um, were, their, were their competitors. Um, and, you know, their methodology is very similar to how other pollsters are using, um, are conducting things. And a lot of newspapers, as standard practice, do seem to dismiss don't knows and, you know, come to these sort of headline figures. So, you know, to sort of take your own findings from it. But it certainly seemed like, you know, that headline was used essentially as a bit of propaganda and you know certainly the Brexiteers were sharing it you know far and wide and probably the rebuttals were not shared um, anywhere near as far um, as, as the particular original story um, and also you have to do their own polling on this and yep. you know, they found a completely opposite um, figure um, which suggested that it would be a betrayal if we had a no deal Brexit um, and even comrades themselves um, you know just just a fortnight before as Peter Connor points out um, found that you know similar findings that people would not be happy with a no deal Brexit so I don't know what you can really take away from this, but certainly there's a lot of questions being asked again of pollsters. And it does feel like we've gone back four years to when we had uh, the general election where all the pollsters suggested Ed Miliband was going to win the, win the general election. And then everyone turned around and said, what happened? And, you know, they said, oh, we'll go away and look at our methodology. Mm-hmm. And now we're having all those same questions about polls and, you know, are they being you know, sort of one-sided to a certain extent, depending on who commissions them. Jerry, you're a political journalist, and uh, and you know we we, we should yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we should and we should say shortly to become what, what's your new gig? So yeah, I am leaving. I don't think we told the podcast. No, I this. think we were too sad to talk about it last yeah, week. Yeah, I'm um, I'm starting a new job in September. I'm going to be Westminster correspondent for the Yorkshire Post. You're right. Okay. So, I will be off, but yes, so political journalist I am. And does this, can we trust any opinion polls? Because obviously we like the ones that say that Remain are in the lead. <laughs> yeah, we can. I mean, Johnny touched on it a bit there. They, they got it wrong in the 2015 election and for the year referendum and Donald Trump's victory in the US. <laughs> but they do get it right sometimes. I mean, French elections, they were right. And I think it's easy, it's really easy to jump on the bandwagon when they get them wrong. Um, I think a good rule of thumb, if it, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is wrong. Mm. One of my favourite opinion polls of all time, t- type of opinion poll, by the way, is the one, the Daily Express, where they make their readers ring in and mm. take part in the poll and then charge them, like, pound twenty <laughs> for the privilege um, and then probably splash on something to bring you back national service mm. or something like that. Um, I think... People often jump on sample size as a critique of a poll. Sample size is less about it's less about size and more about quality. Um, mm. And you know that kind of depends on if your sample size is representative of the UK more than how many people you've got. Um, I kind of dismiss anything from social media. People are you know. Retweet for a larger yeah. sample. Oh, yeah. It's very <laughs> that's not very scientific in a bubble, is it? isn't it? Um, and Joyce touched on it there about question wording as well, like them um, the Telegraph calling and um, the Prime Minister Boris his kind mm. of familiar, jokey name. It's um, it is a bit leading, but 
I think to say they're all biased does stray into the tinfoil hat conspiracy theory kind of lair. I mean... Like like Nigel Farage saying simply fake polling. Like, what is a fake poll? Sure, exactly. Like, mm. how, how does that manifest itself? Mm. You know, there's As, lots... Yeah. yeah, and there's lots of kind of momentum type people online who will say that YouGov, for example, is owned by the Tories. And there's this um, <laughs> Peter Hitchens quote saying that polls are used to manipulate public opinion, not measure it. But actually, YouGov was co-founded by Peter Keller, a Labour supporter. And yep. election polls also do tend to overstate Labour support. Mm. So... You know, and there is there is this um, British Polling Council who all the companies do have to be a member of and follow their rules, including on openness, and they do have to publish all the background to their polls, so their work can be scrutinised. I think the key is taking them with a pinch of salt and looking at where the money behind them is coming from mm. to get that context before you go kind of down a rabbit hole. Yes. Mia, do, I mean, do you trust any polls? Um, I trust the ones that um, that shout for Remain. Um, <laughs> I, try, I trust I, the ones embedded in New European articles on our website. Yeah, absolutely. They're kind of buttons, absolutely perfect. Um, I see them as the ultimate truth. Yes. Excellent. I mean, I mean, there's one way that we could solve all this, and we could have another referendum, and you know, the ultimate poll. Yeah, exactly. If we want to have a big poll, you know, the sample size would be good on that one, and we could. Get some decisions on that. Yeah, I'm not sure about the sample quality there. <laughs> well, we'll be back shortly with Brexiteer of the Week. But first, a word from our editor. Hello, I'm Matt Kelly, and I'm the editor of The New European, the newspaper that brings you this podcast. Every week, The New European is committed to providing in-depth reports and analysis about the progress and implications of Brexit. We also celebrate Europe in our great cultural and arts section, Europhile. And we do it uniquely from a Remainer perspective. We think we are making a difference. We think it's important that there's a voice balancing, even if only in a small way, the dominant right-wing media voices that prevailed before and since the referendum. If you think what we're doing is important, you can help us. The best way to help us is by subscribing. Just now, there's a special offer. You get 13 issues for just £13. That's a heavy discount from the £3 an issue retail price point. And if you subscribe now, you also get a free Bollocks to Brexit mug. It's very easy. All you have to do is go onto your search engine and put in New European Subscription, and you'll find the link. Thank you for your support, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. Brexiteer of the week. Brexiteer of the week now, and let's start with a dishonourable mention for the Leave EU backer Aaron Banks, who tweeted a joke, and I use the term advisedly, about a yachting accident befalling the young environmental campaigner Greta Thunberg. Who'd have thought it? He always seemed so nice. Marc Francois now, and last week's print edition of the New European was a summer special, and, and in it, I paid tribute to the summer specials of my youth where you'd go caravanning with your mum and dad and you'd get a special edition of the Beano that had all different strips and puzzles and stuff like that in it. And in so, so to pay tribute to that, we did a Marc Francois World War word search which featured the kind of words that Marc Francois uses every day, Hun, Jerry's, all of that kind of stuff in the bunker. And uh, 
To prove this, as validation, he popped up with Julia Hartley Brewer on talk radio, uh, saying that any Remainer government of national unity would in reality be a Vichy-style regime, with Jeremy Corbyn doddering around as an old Marshall Patan character, not knowing what's going on around him. Now, shout out to my brother Anders Anglesey on Twitter. He tweeted, Vichy France collaborated with the Nazis and accepted the mass deportation of Jews and others to Nazi death camps. Mark Francois is an actual bellend. That wasn't quite the best tweet about this, though. That was from Tobbs, uh, who said, what's the difference between Private Teru Nakamura and Mark Francois? Answer, Private Nakamura stopped fighting World War II in 1974. Now, next, we come to uh, our friend Dick Brain. He's the new UKIP leader, nominative determinism at its finest. And uh, let's not go into all the jokes about Dick Brain. I'm sure you've done them all. Uh, and I'm, frankly, I'm saving that for future issues. Um, anyway, he said, the media are being controlled by an EU federalist class. I mean, I would go so far as to say a traitor class. People who are conspiring with foreign powers against the people of this country. And if you look... For instance, at BBC Question Time panellists over the last three years, statistically it's way off the scale in terms of bias. They hardly ever put real Leave supporters on that show. Well, is that really true? Nigel Farage has appeared on Question Time 33 times, and in the last three years that Dick Brain is talking about, Farage, David Davis, Dominic Raab, Priti Patel, Paul Nuttall, RIP, have been on a combined 22 times. It's hardly a lockout, is it? But who's not been on Question Time, by the way, since 2013? It's Boris Johnson. It's almost like he's being afraid of being exposed by other politicians for lying. Boris's first appearance, incidentally, is nearly 20 years on now. It's 28th of October, 1999. He appeared with Hugh Fernley Whittingstall, Lembit Opic, Diane Abbott, and somebody called Theresa May. Whatever happened to her? But who'd have thought that the only one with any political credibility 20 years later would be the chef? Which brings us on to the Brexiteer of the Week. And it is Boris Johnson. He began his ludicrous Facebook thing that we talked about earlier on in this podcast with a coded attack on Philip Hammond for stopping a no, trying to stop a no-deal Brexit. He said there's a ter- terrible collaboration, as it were, going on between people who think they can block Brexit in Parliament and our European friends. That's the actual Prime Minister calling people who disagree with him collaborators. We live in awful times. And basically, how this ends is with Boris Johnson dragging Philip Hammond into the middle of Downing Street and shaving his head while Ian Duncan Smith plays the tin whistle and Marc Francois waves a tiny St George's flag. Just when you think this administration can't get any lower they find steps down to a new bit of the basement. So Boris Johnson is the Prime Minister. Just let that sink in. But he's also the Brexiteer of the Week. Well, that's nearly it for this episode of the New European Podcast. Before we go, we asked our followers on social media if one day they make a film about the Boris Johnson story, what should be the title of that film? And we've got the best of your suggestions here. Mia, you've got some. Uh, Yeah, they're great. Um, We've got Jeff Williams suggested uh, No Deal Apocalypse Now. Uh, Chris Amos very cleverly wrote uh, Eaton Mess. (laughs) Um, We've got Sam Butler, Plump Fiction. 
uh, rude, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we've got Lena Walsh saying uh, the rise and fall of the sausage man, which I don't know what that means, but it's very funny. <laughs> it is. Jono, you've got some more. Yeah. So uh, Tenny Price says the ego the ego has landed. Uh, James Dillon, Billy Bunter bungles Brexit. Uh, David Harpen says live and let lie. And David Peter Broadhurst says carry on and bugger it up. And <laughs> Jerry, some more. <laughs> Um, Nick Redding suggested The Spad Who Loved Me Oh, oh very good <laughs> Max Neal they said Mr Bean Breaks the UK With Rowan Atkinson um, William Vine said Malice in Blunderland Which I do like um, Well can't say this bloke Colin Flaherty He said Clownfall And someone who goes by the name By Jove what happened here <laughs> Their full name I imagine <laughs> Said Britain has fallen Britain has fallen. Indeed it has. Okay, thank you, Mia. Thank you, Jono. Thank, thank you, you Jerry. Thank you. Uh, Richard Porritt will be back next week. Yeah. But it's, it's the opposite of by popular demand. <laughs> in the meantime, I want to thank you. We, we were number four in the uh, iTunes Politics uh, podcast chart last week, which is the highest we've ever been. So thank you again. Don't forget to leave us a wonderful review on your podcatcher of choice. Go to Facebook. Don't look at Boris Johnson's terrible PMQs, but do join the New European Readers Group. You can follow us on Twitter, at the New European. Can you... I, you what, what are you on Twitter, Jono? I'm at Jono Reid, R-E-A-D. Uh, Mia? Uh, Mia Jankovic. You're going to have to just try and Google that. <laughs> and Jerry Scott? At Jerry underscore E underscore L underscore Scott. And I am at Sanglesey, S-A-N-G-L-E-S-E-Y. We will talk to you next week. Goodbye, my snowflakes. Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their Golden Glow body set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow & Go facial set provides spa-level results at home. 
Both sets come in giftable boxes with savings up to $48 and free shipping for a limited time. For 10% off your first order site-wide, go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM.